You're listening to a Soulfire Productions podcast. Welcome to Wellness Realness, where we get very real about all things health and wellness, physical, mental, financial, and spiritual. I'm your host, Christina Rice, a nutritional therapy practitioner and energy healer turned holistic business coach for ambitious entrepreneurs. And I'm here to help you up-level every aspect of your life. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You can find an endless amount of content from me and join my online membership at christinaricewellness.com. And if you want exclusive behind-the-scenes content and my most unfiltered self, DM a screenshot of your iTunes rating and review to Wellness Realness Crew on Instagram and request to follow my super secret account. You can also join the Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe Facebook group to hang out with other listeners in the crew. Get ready for some wellness realness. If you are anything like me and some of your favorite topics in health and wellness are gut health, detoxification, the mind-body connection, and improving your mental health, then today's episode is definitely for you. Today, I am chatting with Susie Garden, who is a naturopath and nutritionist based in Brisbane, Australia. She focuses on gut health and helping women overcome stress, anxiety, and fatigue. And she has a really interesting story. Susie Garden is a yoga teacher and a naturopath, but she spent almost two decades working as a registered nurse and in the pharmaceutical industry before she felt corporate burnout and realized her real goals and really just became passionate about helping people focus on wellness instead of focusing on the traditional sickness model where people only make changes once they're sick. So now she works with women to help them heal their guts, balance out their hormones, improve their mental health, overcome burnout, and detoxify from all of the toxins in our environment. And we dive into all of those topics on this show and have a really great discussion about that mind-body connection, which is so important. And I just love that she takes a truly holistic approach to health and wellness and just ties mind, body, soul, mental, physical, spiritual all together. You can find a ton of content from her on her website, suzygarden.com. You can find her on Instagram at suzygardenwellness. And make sure you check out her podcast, which is called the Wellness Glow Podcast. But if you are ready to listen to all things gut health, detoxification, hormones, and mindfulness, then just keep on listening to this chat with Susie Garden. Many of you might know that one of my 2020 goals was consuming collagen consistently this year because I feel my best when I do. I notice that my hair grows faster, it's stronger, my nails are much stronger and they also grow faster, my skin looks better, my recovery is better from workouts, my joints aren't as achy, sometimes I get that because of my autoimmune symptoms, and I see huge improvements with my gut health. Collagen is incredible for gut health and digestion, and that's why I'm so excited to tell you guys about my current favorite collagen, which is from Further Food. This is a company that I first found a few years ago when I was living in LA. I actually first tried their collagen when I was in college and fell in love with it. Further Food is a mission-driven, women-owned supplement company that creates the highest quality real food-based supplements out there to further your health naturally. You know I love to support women-owned businesses and Further Food really 
aligns with my values. They're all about modern nutrition rooted in ancient remedies. They create products that work for everybody. They're free from gluten, soy, sugar, dairy. They're keto and paleo. And they are setting a new standard for purity. There are so many collagen supplements out there on the market, but the quality of further food just sets them apart. They source their collagen peptides from grass-fed, pasture-raised cattle that feed on organic grass on their farms in South America, and their marine collagen peptides are sourced from the skin of wild-caught North Atlantic codfish off the coast of Canada. Everything is sustainably sourced, tasteless, and dissolves really easily. Their chocolate and vanilla collagen peptides are the only flavored collagen peptides on the market that don't have any additives or fillers, and they are so delicious. Their chocolate collagen has reishi mushroom for its immune-boosting benefits, and their vanilla collagen has tremella mushroom, which is great for supporting the hydration of your skin. So whether you want flavorless collagen peptides or chocolate or vanilla-flavored, side note, their chocolate can be mixed with water or nut milk, and it makes a delicious hot chocolate drink pro tip, they have an option for you. And you can also head to their website and find some of their other amazing superfood supplements and products like their matcha, their turmeric tonic, and their ashwagandha. So if you want to get your hands on the highest quality collagen out there on the market, just go to furtherfood.com and you can use my code wellness for 10% off. Again, that's furtherfood.com, F-U-R-T-H-E-R-F-O-O-D.com and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 10% off any products on their website. Thank you so much, Susie, for coming on the podcast. I have been so excited to chat with you. And to start off, can you just tell my audience a little bit about you and what you do? Sure. Thanks so much, Christina. I've been really looking forward to our chat as well. So uh, yeah, I'm Susie Garden. I'm an Australian naturopath, nutritionist, yoga and meditation teacher. I primarily help women with stress, fatigue and anxiety find their way back to a healthy body, a calm mind and a life that lights them up. And I do that through my wellness clinic in Brisbane, Queensland. Also, I run international retreats. I have the anxiety taming method, which is a 12 week course that I run. And I also have my own podcast, the wellness glow. So yeah, that's where I primarily spend my time these days, but it wasn't always like that. I actually have a fairly strong background in a corporate life. I worked in the pharmaceutical industry. So it, uh, it's almost like I've come from the dark side over into <laughs> the opposite of that, uh, which is quite ironic, but I kind of feel like I can blend the two together because I do have that balance of the conventional side of medicine because I'm a registered nurse and then I have that more natural uh, wellness focus, which is really more about prevention Mm-hmm. than actually treating illness once it presents. Although, of course, I do that as well. Yeah, well, I think blending the two is really the most powerful. You know, I think sometimes in the wellness space, we get in trouble when we demonize, you know, the more conventional yes. side of things. Yes. And there's just a time and a place for both types of work, I think. Oh, uh, totally. You know, like it's, it. I think these days, 
Prevention is absolutely critical because we have such a, um, a mass of illness that is lifestyle related. And there is so much we can do to prevent illness from happening. And we know that now, whereas I think 20, 30 years ago, we didn't really have that great understanding. We certainly didn't have the understanding of the importance of the gut microbiome 20 or 30 years ago. And I think certainly our expectation was that when we felt unwell, we went to a doctor and we got a drug. Whereas these days, I think people are much more focused on wellness, keeping uh, active and fit and having a healthy diet, or at least maybe if not always having a healthy diet, knowing that that is actually something that they need to work towards is I think certainly an awareness that most people have. And yeah, so that's why I'm, I'm much preferring working in this space of wellness rather than treating illness when it presents. Because I feel like when people are already unwell, sometimes mentally, they can also just take on the role of being an unwell person. And that can be quite a challenge to move past sometimes. Whereas if you're in a space where you're feeling pretty good and you know there are some things you need to change, it's actually much easier to affect that change because the motivation is there to do it and the energy is there around that. That is so true. I would love for you to speak a little bit more to that about how if you already feel unwell, you just kind of take on that role. Yeah, it's interesting. I used to actually have conversations with uh, gastroenterologists when I worked in the pharmaceutical industry about um, IBS, and, which is irritable bowel syndrome and uh, inflammatory bowel disease. And I remember distinctly having a, a conversation with a gastroenterologist and she said some of the patients actually really enjoy their disease and they actually become quite identified with their disease. And certainly I've seen that also uh, when I worked as a nurse, people with uh, chronic diseases, it becomes a very big part of their life and a big part of them. And I think sometimes for them to then go towards wellness can be almost scary because they are so used to being the sick person and the person in pain. And it can be very, very um, challenging to move beyond that, even though I think intellectually they want that. It's, it's when something becomes such a part of you, it can be very difficult to let that go. Mm-hmm. It's quite an interesting psychology, but I know this particular gastroenterologist said, you know, she spends most of her consults with these types of patients actually counseling more so than, than medically treating because that's where, what they needed from her in that moment. And I had a number of other gastroenterologists say the same sort of thing, that there is this attachment that people can have to their disease and it can really get a, in the way of them becoming well again. Yeah, well, I think not only can it get in the way of them not becoming well, but also it can make them sick, you know? Like, yeah. I, I mean, I believe yeah. that the mind can cause illness and I believe the mind can heal illness mm. too. Mm. It's so powerful. And you know, that the evidence we now have from the research in meditation and mindfulness mm-hmm. absolutely backs that up. And we know ourselves, even things like negative self-talk, 
we can talk ourselves into so many things. We can talk ourselves into being unwell for sure. And we can also, we can have, I've looked after people that physically might be very unwell, but their mindset is so positive and so good that they are really helping themselves towards wellness purely because of the positive focus that they have. I mean, we do see that particularly in uh, cancer and things like that, that there are a lot of people that, that purely just from having that positive mindset can extend their life well beyond what doctors might estimate their life expectancy is because of their positive mindset around that. Absolutely. So do you spend a lot of time in your practice um, working with mindset? I do. I I spend a lot of time with that. And it's something I really like to work with as well, because it's something that is is free for for a start. Like, you know, people working on their uh, negative self-talk, for example, I think that is probably what I mostly work with because it's something that I think we have all done at some point. And I know for myself personally, I've really had to work on that aspect of, you know, when you do something that maybe isn't the smartest thing to not say, Oh, I'm so, I'm so stupid. Why did I do that? That kind of sounds very innocuous, but in fact, it's very damaging to be talking to yourself like that all of the time. And so to be able to talk to a client and talk them through the value of turning that around and it, it's not that they have done, they are dumb. It's they may have done something that wasn't going to give them the outcome they wanted, but it's not that they are dumb or they, they are stupid. So it's something that I feel by switching around the language and actually turning whatever that um, thought, that negative thought about themselves is into something positive has I, I truly believe it has effect on yourself. It actually, mm. I believe, has an effect on keeping things positive. Of course, we know that that will help with our neurotransmitters, our brain chemicals. And it by using uh, techniques to turn around negative self-talk into positive self-talk. And also, I really believe in the power of using mantra. So one of the most powerful things that I, I find I can use with people is I get them, it's called mirror work. And I believe uh, Louise Hay may have been the pioneer in this type of work, uh, is actually connecting with yourself in the mirror, looking yourself in the eyes. And for some people, even just the act of looking at themselves in the eyes, in the mirror can be a very big step to just sit there and look at yourself in the mirror. And then to actually ground in and place your hand on your heart and say something along the lines of, I love and accept myself a few times. I've had clients that literally can't do that. Mm -hmm. They say, I cry. I, I can't say it. I've had to change the words because, and, and that shocked them that they can't do this simple act of standing in front of the mirror, looking at themselves and saying, I love and accept myself. And I think if people that can move through to being able to do that can have, that can have huge implications for a positive wellness experience. And I, yeah, I, I don't know if you've had similar things with the clients that you work with, but I, it, I find it extraordinary that that can be such a breakthrough and so powerful when it's such a simple technique. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. It's very powerful. And I wish more people like, I, I feel like for me, it can take some time to get 
someone to believe in that and like actually actually do it and so I'm curious how how you get people to actually give things like this a shot and believe in it and like have hope that they can get better that they can break through because I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with even today I was talking to someone and I told her, you know, I said from the verbiage you're using, you sound like you think you're never going to get better and you can't get better Mm. if you use that talk. So how do you Mm. help motivate people to like believe like if I do this, things will change? Yeah, I get them to make a commitment to me. So when we discuss their their treatment plan and what we're going to do, I always take small steps because I think having small goals makes it very achievable. And then when you can achieve those small steps, it makes you feel good and that sets you up for success in the longer term. So I get them to, to agree, like we might agree. So I might say to them, this is what I want you to do. And they might go, I'm really not comfortable with that. So then we just, I strip it back to, okay, would you be comfortable with just looking at yourself in the mirror and just do that for 10 seconds a day? Let's try that. For three days, just looking at yourself for 10 seconds and then let's double that, make it either 10 seconds twice a day or 20 seconds and just that small incremental step and then check back in with me. So we have like an agreement that even though they may not think it's going to work, even though they might think it's a bit silly and they're very self-conscious about doing something like that, that they generally people will agree to that because it's so simple, 10 seconds, you know, why not? Mm-hmm. And it, I find that if you can get people to agree to very small steps, if they're very hesitant or they think it's a bit of woo-woo and, and they don't uh, kind of believe in it. And the thing is, I believe there is some research around this. So if I get someone that's, that's very science-based, then I'm more than happy to pull out research that supports this kind of work. Mm-hmm. And that also helps. But I, I really do think just the small steps and bringing it back to something that people think, okay, I can do that mm-hmm. and then building on it. And then often when I do it like that, they'll come in the, the next time they see me and go, oh my God, I did it. And you know what? It actually did have an effect. Mm-hmm. And then we just take it to the next step of, you know, maybe just putting the hand on the heart and connecting in with the heartbeat. And then the next step of, you know, saying a mantra that is going to be appropriate for that person. Yeah, so what allowed you to understand that this mindset work was so important? Like, how did you first start getting into this side of things? I think when I was doing work on myself, when I was working in corporate, I suffered a lot from imposter syndrome. And I think that's actually really, really common. When I first started feeling like this, I didn't even know what that was. I had never heard of the term. And the first time I think I read a magazine article describing it, it went, oh my gosh, that's me. I totally feel like one day everyone's going to work out that I don't know what I'm doing. And you know, uh, so I think because I was promoted into senior into a senior role when I was quite young. And I, so I always kind of had a feeling like, oh, if, you know, if they really knew that I wasn't capable of this, then they wouldn't have promoted me. But in fact, I was, of course I was, but I think I just lacked some confidence and then I just set up a whole bunch of negative self-talk and negative beliefs around my own abilities, even though, you know, I was winning awards and I had a team that was, I had the best retention in the company. Like it was just, I had all of the, the objective metrics mm-hmm. all said great things, but I found that very difficult to believe. So I, after I realized that this was actually a thing, I uh, started to read up on it and I just started 
from books that I read, just started doing this sort of work for myself. And every time I caught myself saying something negative, I would stop it and I would turn it around into something positive or like, you know, instead of, instead of, oh, I don't know how to do this. It's I'm having a learning experience and this is great because I'm getting better at this. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's very simple, very simple techniques, but it makes a huge difference on how you feel. Like you can feel for me personally, I can feel the tension released from my neck, from my shoulders, from my jaw when I use that different language. Yeah, definitely. And that, yeah, and it definitely shows on the outside as well. Are there any books that stand out in your mind as having influenced you a lot? Look, honestly, I can't think of any off the top of my head at the moment because this is years ago that I went through this process with myself. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, I'm really sorry. I can't. Louise Hay's work is probably something that's influenced me a lot. Um, So possibly almost anything by that wonderful woman will be um, incredible for teaching mindset type techniques and self-care, self-love type of language and techniques. So yeah, unfortunately, I can't make a recommendation. That's okay. Well, no, I love her work. Everyone should definitely look into Lisa Hayes if they haven't already. But I'm curious, what made you decide to leave corporate? Well, I was getting really, really burnt out. At the time, I I was in a national role. So, and Australia geographically is as big as the United States. We just live around the edges of our country generally. Uh, So we don't have the big population. So I was traveling all around our country through different time zones, living on airline food and hotel food. I had no routine, wasn't doing any exercise because I was always tired Uh, And I wasn't sleeping very well. So I really wasn't very well. And I really felt like I was just dragging myself around. So I I know now that I was really burnt out. And I ended up getting really sick with a flu. And I was in bed for about two weeks. And it was the first time in years, because I'd been doing that particular job for about five years. It was the first time in years I'd actually had some time to do some real thinking about what I was doing and what I wanted for my life. And I remember just lying in bed thinking, I don't want to do this anymore, but I don't know what I'm going to do. And that was really a struggle because I love healthcare. I love it. I was a nurse and then I went into pharmaceutical. I didn't want to go back to being a nurse because there was uh, an element of retraining I had to do. And I just thought, no, I want to do something else. And I was really interested in nutrition. So I started studying nutrition part-time while I was still working. And I also did my yoga teacher training, mainly more for me. I never, ever thought I would teach. I just wanted to learn more about the philosophy. Mm -hmm. So, and because I was on a lot of long plane flights and things, I was able to do the study pretty much when I was traveling. And I went to Bali and did my yoga teacher training, which was amazing. I took a couple of weeks of annual leave to do the Bali component. And when I came back, I think within about two weeks, I got retrenched, laid off, you would Mm. call it in the United States. So it was just like the best thing ever because (laughs) (laughs) I was probably already six months down the track with my nutrition studies and I came back and got laid off and uh, they gave me like three months notice. So I had plenty of time to plan. And I then decided this is just a message from the universe. I'm going to study full time and really devote myself to it and get uh, qualified as soon as I could. And then 
while I was studying nutrition, I spent time in the student clinic and we shared it with the naturopathic students. And I saw all of the herbal medicines there. And of course, I wasn't allowed to touch them because I was studying nutrition. And so from that, I got really inspired to study the herbal medicine as well. And so from that, it just kind of, um, when I was just about finished my studies, the opportunity came up to open my clinic, a space became available, it suited me perfectly. And again, it was like the universe was just saying, here you go, here's your path. And uh, so I was teaching yoga, and still am, and able to open my clinic at just the right time. And then since then, I've developed programs and uh, yeah, now started to run retreats. So that's just kind of, it felt like it was really meant to be. Yeah, it seems like it. I'm, I mm. would love to hear how your studies of yogic principles um, show themselves in your work as a naturopath. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, yeah. I, I really believe in the power of a couple of things, the breath, and we do a lot of breath work in yoga, and also mindfulness and yoga is such mindful unit and I uh, movement rather and I I specialize in yin yoga so yin yoga is very slow we spend a lot of time working on reducing the fight and flight response and increasing the relaxation response and the kind of patients that are attracted into my practice tend to be very stressed women quite overwhelmed with things that are going on in their life. They often have very busy jobs. Um, I actually saw a new client yesterday. She's working 12 to 14 hour days and incredibly busy, super stressed and having gut issues. Now we know that there is a connection between the brain and the gut. And we know that also when we're very, very stressed and when we're in our stress response, our diversion of blood and oxygen goes into more of our limbs because we're fight or flight, right? So we need to be able to run away or we need to be able to fight. So the blood and oxygen tends to go away from the gastrointestinal tract and go away from the reproductive system, which is why when people are under stress for long periods of time, that's often where they can get issues or health issues in their body. And this can actually work both ways because we uh, produce serotonin, which is a a brain chemical or neurotransmitter, about 90 to 95% of it gets produced in our gut. So if we're in stress response, we're not going to be producing our serotonin as well as we could be. And if the serotonin is low, that leads to things like anxiety and depression. And there's also that link with um, IBS with serotonin as well. So there's, if we, I use my yoga, uh, principles to try and help people manage their stress response. So one of the first things I will do with people that come to me in that sort of stress state is teach them belly breathing. Belly breathing works directly on the hypothalamus in the brain. The hypothalamus is like this control center and it it tells the hypothalamus when we control our breath that the threat is gone. We don't need to be in stress response anymore. So if we can lower our stress response, our relaxation response will come up because they're directly linked. And if we can start to control stress using breath, it's something that, again, everyone can do. It's something that is free. 
And with belly breathing in particular, once you teach yourself how to do it, you can do it all the time and no one knows that you're doing it. So it's just a a fantastic technique for life, I I believe. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, I first learned this many years ago when I was first doing yoga. And then when I was working in corporate, we had to do uh, to lay off a whole number of people and they brought some psychologists in to talk to us managers to help us in how we phrase that, how we could support people during that process. And when we did this training, one of the things they taught us was belly breathing. And they said, you know, this kind of breathing will help you remain calm. And I remember being really blown away because I thought it was a a bit of a woo-woo yogi thing. And then I realized from doing this training, it's actually very scientific and there's a lot of research around it. And so, yeah, that's something that I use with almost everybody because almost everybody can benefit from it. Yes, I am so on that train. And I think it's funny how people think of... I think people think if there's not a pill, uh, if there's not a pill attached, it's not scientific. Mm. <laughs> totally, totally. You know, if you tell someone to take a pill, they take it. But if you tell someone to breathe for five minutes, they're like, "Oh no, I don't have time." You're like, five minutes? Come on!" I know. Oh my gosh. Well, so you work with a lot of women who are stressed out, have anxiety, and yes. I'm sure depression often accompanies that too. Yeah. Um, yes. So. I have a few questions related to that. First of all, what are your thoughts on the differing theories in terms of the root of depression and anxiety, where some people will say it's an imbalance of neurotransmitters and others say it's not that at all. It's actually just inflammation in the brain. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting discussion. And, and I think Potentially, it's a combination of both. I think everything in the body is interrelated. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know there's that, um, I call it, I think, leaky brain, yeah. uh, which is related to leaky gut. And I think, I actually think it's more complex than that. I think there's the the lack of, like when I mentioned before about the stress response and how your digestive system doesn't work as well. And so if that's not happening, if your digestion is slowing down and you're not breaking down your nutrients very well, and let's face it, when people get stressed, often that's when they're going for comfort food or they're going for lots of takeaway or takeout food because they don't, they feel like they don't have time to cook or they haven't done their planning and they don't have healthy food in the house. So they end up eating more processed food and more salt and more sugar. And then they're not breaking those nutrients down. So they're not making good neurotransmitters and that will affect their brain function, their mood, for example. Um, So there's that aspect, but also at the same time, you're getting inflammation and inflammation in the gut. We know there's pretty strong evidence now that if you have a leaky gut, you probably have a leaky brain as well. That can also cause these mood disorders. So I think there's still so much research going on in this area that it's really hard to make a definitive statement about what it is. And who knows, it might be actually, there might be a third thing. Yeah. That's also involved. I mean, we're still discovering so much about the body, which I found, I find astounding, you know, like you think, oh, well, in medicine, we know everything, but I think it was only about two or three years ago, they discovered a lymphatic system in the brain that they didn't know existed. And you think, gosh, how does that happen? But yeah, I, I think that we still have so much to learn and we're just kind of, um, 
kind of changing the way we treat people based on the evidence that's coming out. But I, I t- for me personally, I totally believe that inflammation is the root of pretty much all disease. And I think that's very well backed up in the evidence. And there's definitely inflammation involved in anxiety and depression. And I believe there are some other mental health illnesses that are coming in under that uh, banner as well. So reducing inflammation in the body as much as possible will absolutely help with mental health. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, whenever anyone asks me about any health issue, like you can always count on part of the answer being reducing inflammation, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But when it comes to anxiety and depression specifically, are there any like holistic remedies or first steps to take that you recommend to people? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. There's obviously the breathing that we've discussed. I think that's a really good first line. It's easy. Everyone can do it. And then the next thing I really believe is looking at food and looking at for most people, I'll do a seven day food and mood journal. And that really helps people identify some of the the things that they're eating that they don't even realize they're eating. I can't tell you how many times people say to me, oh, no, I eat pretty healthily. And then they do the food and mood journal and they come back and go, oh, my goodness, I had no idea how much rubbish I'm eating <laughs> until they actually had to write it down. And I think that's that that's comes, you know, from mindless eating because we have so many distractions with our screens and TV and everything else that's going on. So people don't really realize how much they're eating and they don't realize the, the lack of nutrition in their diet. So I think if we can get people having an awareness of that and then changing that and looking at foods that are really good for the nervous system. So some of those foods are good quality proteins because we need those amino acids to build our good uh, neurotransmitters. So we need good quality proteins. We need lots of greens and and lots of uh, greens are anti-inflammatory and that is really important. And they can be uh, obviously eaten in things like salads and veggies, but I think the green smoothie is one of the absolute go-tos for people that have got uh, stress, anxiety, depression, because it's so much more easily absorbed by the body. Often when people are in this state, their digestion's not working that well. So if you can have something that's already been partially, almost partially digested, when you put, you know, um, greens like kale or spinach, silver beet through the blender, and it's breaking down all of the cell walls in the plant, it makes it much easier for our bodies to absorb those beautiful nutrients. So I think looking at the diet, cutting sugar, cutting processed foods, reducing salt, that's pretty easy to do if you're looking for it. And then increasing your healthy quality proteins and your greens, I think will do a lot. Uh, There's obviously a lot more you can do, but I think those things primarily, if you can get started doing that, you will notice a difference very quickly. I'm curious, um, when you say reducing salt, Mm. where that comes from, or do you just, do you mean iodized salt or? 
No, I don't mean iodized salt. I mean like many processed foods are really loaded with salt and some of that's for preservative reasons and some of it is for taste uh, and generally in takeaway foods, there'll be lots of salt and I think that contributes to high blood pressure, contributes to fluid retention and imbalance in electrolytes, which makes people feel pretty ordinary. So I think that by reducing those, the foods that contain that, it is much better for our overall health and well-being. Okay, so, but you don't mean like, so if I'm cooking and I add pink Himalayan salt? Yeah, no, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about more the processed okay. food. Okay, Yeah. just yeah. to clarify yeah, for sure. people. Yes, totally, yes. Um, yes, we absolutely need some salt, but it's the sauce mm-hmm. that that is the thing. It's, it's whether you're getting it from a processed food or whether you're putting it in your own meal that you're making. We're going to take a brief pause from today's episode because I want to tell you about one of my favorite companies in the world, Four Sigmatic. I use Four Sigmatic's products every single day and they've made a huge difference in my life. You've probably heard that functional mushrooms have so many potential health benefits from immunity, energy, longevity, cognitive enhancement, stress management, and more. And functional mushrooms have been used for centuries. A lot of people just don't know how to use them. And that's why I love Four Sigmatic. They make drinking mushrooms and superfoods delicious and easy to do with their mushroom coffees, mushroom superfood blends, and mushroom elixirs. You just have to mix one of their single serve packets with a cup of hot water or nut milk. You can also add them into smoothies or shakes or even pour them on top of your food. And they're the highest quality out there. They're all made with wildcrafted or log-grown and certified organic mushrooms. And everything is tested for pesticides, heavy metals, irradiation, mycotoxins, and other factors. I like to start my morning off with their matcha latte mix or their mushroom coffee. I love that because it gives me the coffee without the jitters. There's only 50 milligrams of caffeine per serving. And I get the boost of the lion's mane for my brain. And then throughout the day, I'll have the cordyceps if I want extra natural energy without any caffeine or if I have an extra hard workout. I'll have the chaga if I want a boost in my immune system. Or I'll have the lion's mane if I want even more support for my memory and concentration if I'm really in the work zone. And then I like to finish off my day with their reishi, which is amazing for reducing stress and promoting sleep. Or I'll have their mushroom hot cacao mix, which is mixed with that reishi. These elixirs are so delicious and you're getting extra health benefits. I cannot recommend them enough. And if you want to try them out, just go to foursigmatic.com CRW and use my code CRW for 15% off. Again, that's foursigmatic.com, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash CRW and use my discount code CRW for 15% off. Now I'm going to get back to my cup of Four Sigmatic and I'll let you hop right back into this interview. So with diet and nutrition, I feel like nutrition is like politics now. You know, everyone has a side. Um, There are a bunch of different diets out there and some people lean in one direction and some people don't. Do you have any type of nutritional preference in terms of a type of diet, anything like that? I don't have a 
a preference, like if you're referring to things like a paleo or um, keto or something like that, it really depends on what's going on with the individual client and what their goals are. Uh, so no, I don't have in my mind a specific one that, yep, that will work for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's more about what what what's this person's lifestyle like? Are they able to cook for themselves? Are they on the road all day so that maybe they, they do have to buy food on the run? And for those people, sometimes I've, I've, you know, had to create uh, lists of foods that they can get from takeaway shops mm-hmm. or food courts that I've been able to investigate and say, well, these are the best ones for you to get um, or talk to them about how they can order those foods and reduce some of the sugar by, for example, if you're going to a salad bar, trying to avoid the dressings um, and just going for the whole foods that you can see in, uh, when they're making up the salad for you. So yeah, it's, um, I, yeah, as I say, I don't sort of say, oh, this is the go-to diet for everybody because people have different needs and different beliefs and different cultures. And all of that needs to be taken into account so that people are successful in making the dietary changes that are going to make them feel better in their bodies. Have you noticed any correlation with vegan diets and anxiety? I think people that are doing vegan diets, and I'm seeing a lot of an, uh, an increase, particularly in young people taking on vegan lifestyles for environmental reasons. And I think that it needs to be done well. I, I uh, have found some people literally just take the meat and the, and the animal product off the plate, and they don't necessarily know how to use um, pulses, legumes, effectively they don't know how to combine for uh get their whole quality proteins the thing is when i talk about quality proteins um talking about having the full range of amino acids so if you eat animal products then you'll get the full range of amino acids if you eat plant-based proteins you absolutely can get the full range of amino acids but you do need to combine Uh, and make sure you're getting the full range over the course of the day. We used to say you had to do it at each meal. Now we know that as long as you're getting a variety of proteins over the day, that you are able to get all of your amino acids. The big thing that people do need to supplement when they're on a vegan diet is the vitamin B12. That is not really possible to get from in substantial quantities from a vegan diet. So supplementation is almost always indicated. Um, Also omega-3 fatty acids, and that's really important for brain health. And that can be quite difficult, actually, even for meat eaters, because I I don't know about in America, but in Australia, eating fish, it's just not a big thing in our culture. People tend to go more for chicken and red meat and fish maybe. Maybe once a week, you know, but, you know, the, the recommendation in the Australian dietary recommendations is three times a week. But the thing is with fish is you've got to get the right kind of fish yeah. as well. I mean, the, we've got big problems with heavy metals in our fish population. So it's, it's really quite uh, difficult to have, you know, like often – I will end up advising people to get a really high quality fish oil if they if they really need that uh, level of supplementation. I mean, if they're vegan, then it's a flaxseed oil or a hemp oil uh, can contain the uh, the omega three fatty acids, but you have to have a fair bit of it 
But yeah, it's it's trying to get the right sources that are also not going to introduce a new problem such as heavy metal exposure. So yeah. I know. Sometimes, sometimes it feels too complicated to eat. I know. <laughs> I know. It really is. Sometimes you just go, gosh, it's just so hard to, to get it right. And, and yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, our, our grandparents didn't worry about these things. Yeah. And they okay. It's just big food is so is so different these days, the way food is produced and, and the pollution that we've got in our oceans is so much higher. And yeah, we just have to be mindful. I think getting armed with education about these things is, is the key so that you can make the right decisions for yourself and your family. Yeah. We just have to do your best, you know, because like quality is, I mean, you have to try your best to get the best quality out there but sometimes I mean I'll go to the store I've been to stores out here and it says wild caught salmon and it's $3.99 and it looks like it was I don't even know it looks <laughs> awful and I'm like there's no way that's wild caught salmon right so yeah there's a lack of regulation going on there's all kinds yeah. of shady stuff so I think people yeah. just have to do their best um but I, I, I want to circle back to the metals in a bit, but because I know you, you focus so much on gut health and in terms of nutrition, when, when a patient comes to you who has, you know, a very sensitive stomach, if they have a lot of bloating or constipation or diarrhea, something's going on, what kind of nutrition recommendations do you typically make? Yeah, it depends what's going on with them. Uh, often if they're coming with bloating, for example, actually, okay, if it's bloating or uh, and or constipation and or diarrhea, then potentially there is a food intolerance at play. So generally after we do the food diary eating normally, sometimes we can correlate symptoms with food intake. If it's not quite clear, then I will usually use elimination of potential allergens. So we know that the most common things that people react to are going to be dairy, gluten, and eggs. So often I'll just get people to remove dairy completely. So that includes in any baked goods, uh, as well as just milk and yogurt and cheese, etc. I'll get them to remove that for two weeks and see what happens. Often that will improve symptoms dramatically. If that doesn't, then we could move to wheat and gluten. And if that doesn't work, then eggs. Usually we've identified something uh, pretty quickly because often when people have one in food intolerance, they have another. And dairy, I have to say, is probably one of the most common ones that I see. And then we start to work on gut healing. Once we've identified the item or items that are causing the inflammation or the irritation, then we work on, okay, we remove that. And sometimes we only need to remove these foods for six to eight weeks. And we work on gut healing. And we work on introducing prebiotic foods so that we're feeding up our good gut bacteria. We might need to do a little bit of uh, removal of non-beneficial gut bacteria. If I've done uh, stool testing, then I'll know the specific herbs that uh, will help eradicate the specific bacteria. But that kind of depends on the client's budget as well because some of this testing is very expensive. If I don't have the testing, then I will just use uh, whatever knowledge I have 
and work with eradicating whatever non-beneficial bacteria might be there using some more general means rather than the specific herbals. And yeah, the prebiotic foods at the same time will help to uh, build up the good bacteria, which will help to crowd out the non-beneficial bacteria. And then after that kind of six to eight weeks and people at that time should be back to having a normal stool and not having bloating. And then we can look at potentially reintroducing the foods that were causing an issue and often they can be tolerated again once we've done that healing process. Now, it's obviously very variable between people as to how long you need to do that healing process for. And there may be other things going on like managing the stress and making sure hydration is good because that's often also an issue is people just aren't drinking enough water. And, yeah, and also working on increasing uh, whole foods and getting rid of the sugar and the processed foods and things like that. Yeah, so do you ever find that you have to go a step further with diet and remove different types of fibers? Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I go for testing to look at specific other allergens. So you can do like the, uh, I think there's a 99 foods. There's a new one we've got here. That's 144 foods that get tested for. Um, so we can see what type of reaction it is and how significant the reaction is and go from there. And sometimes, yeah, some of the, some fibers people react to. So sometimes that's just a little bit of experimentation to see what is causing people to have symptoms. The fibers is, is less likely to be picked up on testing and sometimes we just have to try different ones, see if there's reactions and if there are, then remove them and try something else. Unfortunately, it's not an exact science with some of this and it is a little bit of, of individually tailoring the treatment based on the client's response yeah. to foods or supplementary uh, prebiotics and things like that. Yeah, I think this is why people feel like they go crazy because it's yeah. like they know they have gut issues and it's like they know it's something they're eating and they but they yeah. don't know what it is and then they come and they yeah. just want to be told what do I take out and I'm like uh, this is going to be an experiment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this is the thing it really is a journey and a lot of it can be about the healing process like the way I explain it to people when we talk about inflammation in the gut, I was like, if you have an abrasion on the back of your hand and you got an alcohol swab and wiped it over, it would sting and it would irritate and it would keep it raw. But if you did that on complete skin that was not in any way injured and just put alcohol rub, you wouldn't even feel it. Mm. So and it's kind of like that with the gut, but we just can't see it. When the gut's all inflamed and red and, and not happy, we're putting foods in that are going to trigger it off and get it's not going to heal and it's, it may get worse. But once we just remove whatever's triggering it off and give it some nice nutrients some glutamine and stuff to help it heal, then it heals up and you can put those foods back in and the body won't react. Yeah, so I love that it, analogy. Yeah, I think I like it because it's really visual and people don't think of the gut as being actual, like it's a mucosa. It's a very delicate, like a very delicate coating like a skin but in the gut mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's about education and also yeah I just make it very clear to people that sometimes this is a little bit of trial and error yeah so mm. talking about healing the gut in that process so you mentioned glutamine which is amazing for gut healing what else mm. is involved with the gut healing process 
Mm, it, yeah, and again, this can be uh, very much different for different people. Um, I really like using herbal medicines such as licorice, such as marshmallow, the very soothing type of herbal uh, medicines. Also, chamomile is really lovely. Melissa or lemon balm is also very, um, all very soothing for the gut. Also, turmeric mm. as a either a, I tend to use it as a powder so I can get a high dose. It's very difficult. The thing is with turmeric, and you can get people to add it to their food, but it's not very bioavailable. So it's difficult for the body to break it down to a level where you can get the active ingredient that you need and in enough quantity, because let's face it, turmeric's pretty hard to eat uh, large quantities of. It's pretty pungent. So getting it in like a really good powdered form in a supplement level dose is really lovely for the gut as well. So that would probably be my my go-tos. And also peppermint can be really nice if there's spasm mm. in the gut to just calm that down. Okay. Yeah, I love all of that. And kind of related, so circling back to the, the metals is, you know, I wanted to talk to you more about yeah. detoxification because I can imagine this yeah. is becoming a bigger and bigger part of your practice. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And actually I do do a a detoxification program because it really is. And people don't, when you start talking to people about all of the things that, that they're exposed to on a daily basis, you can just see the the aha moments going on, Mm -hmm. particularly as women, like, cause we use so many beauty products and I think there's a statistic that says something along the lines of 300 chemicals a day is what we're putting on our skin. Mm -hmm. And You know, I remember when I first heard this statistic before I was in wellness, I thought I don't put 300 things a day. But if you look at your shampoo bottle and you look at your conditioner bottle and you look at your cleanser and you look at your toner, maybe use an exfoliant, maybe use a serum, maybe use a moisturizer, a body moisturizer, body scrub, body soak. If you really like added up all of the individual components, it really gets up there very quickly. And then things like, you know, you're filling up the car with petrol, just breathing that in while you're standing there. If you're cleaning the house with chemical based products and you're not wearing gloves or you're breathing it in, you again, you're getting exposure there. And then plus, you know, if we the eating food that's not organic. And let's face it, I mean, I I can't afford to eat all organic food all the time. So we're always going to be exposed to some pesticides in the foods. I mean, we can wash them as much as we can. I think there's always going to be a bit of residue. And then, of course, you've got your animal products as well. If they're not organic, then they're going to have some exposure to chemicals as well, which, again, you can't wash off meat and, and eggs and dairy. So yeah, there, there is a level of exposure. And even, you know what, even things like, I don't know if you call them post receipts, you know, when you use your credit card at a, a shop and you get a receipt, that, like that little skinny receipt that yeah. comes out, that's got what we call uh, xenoestrogen. So it's like estrogen mimicking chemicals and we absorb that from the skin and we know that that happens. That's not like a woo-woo thing, that's science. So we're even getting chemicals off that. I, ha- I used to work with a guy that worked as a, used to work as a car park attendant. And he said that he couldn't believe how many people they'd come through, press a button, get the ticket out of the machine, put it in their mouth while I drove and got a car park. And he said, if you knew how much rat poison goes in those machines and you don't even think about that stuff. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, he's like, oh my God. And then, you know, you might buy a new shirt and you don't wash it before you wear it. 
Mm. Or you get new sheets and you don't want, like some people don't wash them before they put them on the bed or, you know, so again, these have all got chemicals on them. So we've got exposure going on all of the time. And yes, we do have good processes in our bodies to help remove these toxins. However, because many of us live lifestyles where we're not getting the good nutrition, we're in our stress response, we may not be actually able to detoxify as well as someone who is living a more stress-free or managing their stress rather and having good solid nutrition. So by um, doing, I do a detox personally a couple of times a year just to help my body support its own natural detox processes and I absolutely feel better each time I do it because I live in the Western world and I'm, I know I'm getting exposed every single day to toxins. I can do my best, but it's still going to happen. And we know that there are links uh, to disease with uh, heavy metals. We know, for example, also just with our normal detox processes, if our estrogen isn't getting metabolized properly and excreted from the body, then we can get estrogen imbalances. And if we're absorbing xenoestrogens from our external environment, that can also interfere with our body's production of good estrogen. So we need to make sure we're just looking after ourselves. Like you would take a car for a service, just kind of looking after ourselves a couple of times a year to help remove toxins from the body, but also as much as we can every day, trying to reduce our exposure where we can without getting neurotic about it and piling more stress on ourselves about it. There's always about getting that balance, you know, of going, okay, I live in the world. I'm going to have a level of exposure, but I, I protect myself wherever I can. Yeah, definitely. And well, I love that you mm. gave all of those examples because I think people don't really understand all the ways yeah. they get exposure. And it's really yeah. important that people understand that it's there's a stress bucket, right? So all of these little things yeah. add together. So, you know, it's not about yeah. avoiding everything completely, but like, can we keep it down as much as possible? And some of the things like, you know, going outside in the world, you're going to get exposure, mm. but how much are you breathing in? What are you touching? People don't, don't think about that. Yeah. Exactly. And there is so much we can do by using more natural products around the home, by being careful about what we put on our bodies. And there's so many amazing natural uh, skincare brands out there now. I know when I first started looking at this, that some of those natural products were terrible. <laughs> really, they really didn't work. Um, but there's so much demand these days because people are waking up to what they're putting on their bodies and putting in their bodies. And yeah, there are some really awesome uh, skincare brands out there these days that chemical free. Yeah. So, you know, they're not overly expensive and they do the job. So why not choose those? Yeah, I think there are so many options nowadays. So people have mm -hmm. have plenty of choices. And I think it's much easier to switch a product than it is to change your diet. So at totally, least start yes. there, right? Like if, <laughs> if you're gonna clean your yeah. if you're gonna clean your house, you might as well use something that's non toxic anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so yeah. when you do if when you detox, like so, you said a few times a year, like yeah. to do that. So what what does that entail for you? What does that look like? 
Okay. For me, it's, it's very much a food-based detox. So I look at, okay, for me personally, like I drink one coffee a day usually, maybe two, but generally one. I will drink a bit of alcohol on the weekends. I will have some treats, uh, all that sort of stuff during my general daily life. When I go on a detox, detox, I'm super strict. So I go, okay, I set a date. I look at do I have any events or anything going on around that? I make sure that there's going to be nothing that's going to throw me off that being strict with what I eat and, and drink. So from then, yeah, I just avoid caffeine, alcohol, sugar, gluten, and dairy. And I do that for at least two weeks. And at the same time, I really increase my greens and I really look at what I've got in my fridge and what, you know, what little things may have crept in because, <laughs> you know, as much as you have this knowledge, you're still human and you still, you know, like to have enjoyment and treats here and there. So, you know, I just really make sure that what I'm eating, there's no processed food. There's no, um, it's all whole foods. And I tell you what, interestingly, the, the last time I did this, which was in October, so I have eczema and I only developed that uh, mid-2018 and I think that was mainly from stress and when I went on my detox last year after day four, all of my eczema went away and it was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is really, really interesting. So clearly removing all of that stuff just increased my ability to, or my immune system to reduce that inflammation and that inflammatory response to my environment. So that was a big lesson for me. And I've managed to maintain uh, a level of that reduced uh, itching for me through that my ability to see, okay, there's something actually in my diet that's causing this. I always just thought it was from my dogs because whenever I travel, I don't have it, but now I know it's obviously, it's not just my dogs, it's actually something that I'm eating that's making me more susceptible and, and weakening my immune system to it. It's the power so, of yeah. the elimination diet. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. So good. Are there any supplements or lifestyle practices or anything else you use to help detox as well? Yeah, there are some fantastic liver-based substances that are great for detox, particularly St. Mary's Thistle. I don't, I'm assuming it's called the snake in America. St. Mary's Thistle is a really wonderful herb for the liver. It's very regenerating for the liver. Shisandra is another one that's the same. It's just so good for supporting the liver through detox. Rosemary is the same in a, like a herbal extract form, not so much in a dietary uh, rosemary. Also, I just think like drinking lots and lots of water and also having like either apple cider vinegar in that water or lemon in water. As soon as you wake up, that just helps start to uh, get bile production going on so that you're breaking down your food better. A lot of us have low stomach acid. So by just starting to get the liver and the gall gallbladder working and producing bile and stimulating our digestive juices can be extremely helpful, particularly in that detox phase. Yeah, that, that would probably be like in terms of, I mean, I always prefer when people are going to do this, that they work with a practitioner to get the right supplements that are going to work yeah. for them in their particular, you know, 
their particular condition if they have one or yeah and I don't know what the access is in America to herbal supplements because there is also a quality uh, issue as well like some of the stuff that's available it is a big issue in herbal medicine is has the plant been identified properly has it been tested Mm -hmm. has the plant been grown organically like are you are you taking herbs that are actually toxin free yeah so yeah there's a real real difference like anything if you go into uh, a pharmacy or a health food store and you're getting the cheapest supplements out of the bargain bin then that's probably not going to be as good as getting something that's been created especially for you from a trained herbalist. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought up the quality because I think a lot Mm. of people don't realize how important that is and people will say, oh, yeah, I've been taking that and it doesn't help. And I'm like, well, where did you get it from? You know, my drugstore. I'm like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's not the best quality. You're not going to get the same results. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think there's so much misinformation about detox in general. Like, I think people just think they either – can't eat or just have to do a juice cleanse and yeah you know mm. it's not it's yeah not it. <laughs> they're, 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 it's a big business I think particularly around well I don't know about America but in Australia new year yeah. is a big time for people to do detox and it's summer over here so everyone wants to you know lose weight and detox is often pitched as a weight loss which I don't necessarily think is correct uh certainly not something you may lose a little bit of weight because you're reducing your sugar but it's i wouldn't use it as a weight loss plan uh if you needed to lose a significant amount of weight and also i think of course you're going to lose weight if you do a juice cleanse because you're not eating anything Uh, and again you've got to be really careful doing those things that they're appropriate for some people for some others they're not and, you know, I've, I've I even had a client come through that said she went on one of these things and then from that developed an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. She got so obsessed with what she was and wasn't putting in her mouth. And so I think some of this stuff can be not great for some people. And a lot of it is just about making money for the companies, you know, like there's certain uh, detox products that are really heavily advertised and they're just nothing. Like they, they don't do anything. They're just it's rubbish. So yeah, I think people just need to understand that detox is something that you do need to be having, uh, I think advice about, because the other thing I didn't mention is, uh, with a lot of our toxins, some of them get stored in our fat cells. And so if we go on a detox and we start releasing some of these toxins People don't feel well and you've got to know how to deal with that. You know, sometimes there are some good supplements you can take that can actually bind those toxins so that they uh, can be released from the body without causing any sort of oxidative damage and things like that. So I think there's, it's, it's a bit more complex than just going to the pharmacy and buying a detox kit and doing a three or a five day cleanse. Yeah. I know when I do, I do it for four weeks and it's fully supported and, it's uh, very much about, as well as lifestyle, it's things like, you know, dry body brushing and reducing toxic exposure, but it's also about the diet. Mm-hmm. And I use, do use some supplements sometimes, but not all the time. It just yeah. depends on the person. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm really yeah. glad that you brought up sometimes brought the side effects because I think sometimes people don't, <laughs> don't realize that detox patient, I mean, depending on how much you're detoxing, it can be 
intense and some people yeah. need to go slower than others, you know? Yeah. Um, so it that's... is good to get professional help, I think for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Because yeah, if you are a little bit on the, the, uh, fragile side with your health, it, one of the things with detox, we say to people, don't detox if you're not well. Mm-hmm. If you've got a cold or a flu, don't detox. Yeah. That's not good. That's not good. <laughs> so, yeah, it, there are certain circumstances. If you're pregnant, don't detox. It's <laughs> very true. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, there are certain people that definitely shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. So you see so many different types of people and help them with so many different types of health issues. I'm curious if there is one piece of advice that you think everybody could take to improve their, their health today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, the big, the big piece is I would say breathing mm-hmm. because of how powerful it is. And I think everyone can do that. So if you, if you just went online and Googled belly breathing, I'm sure you you could find a YouTube video or something that will teach you how to do it. So I think in terms of, if you're looking at what can I do right now, to improve my health, belly breathing will help everybody. There's no one that can't, that, that it isn't indicated for. And the other thing is, is just to look at your diet. And most people know the things that they shouldn't really be eating a lot of. And even if you eliminated one or two things, like if you, if you drink a lot of soft drink, just stop. Mm-hmm. No one needs that. <laughs> um, oh, you call it soda, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you're drinking a lot of that, just stop, you know, if you're eating a lot of donuts, stop. But most people know the things that they shouldn't be eating. Even if you just eliminated one or two of those things, that will really help you tremendously. Love it. Amazing. Thank you so much, Susie, for coming on the podcast and sharing all of this knowledge. If people want to connect with you more, can you just let them know where mm-hmm. they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So, and thank you. I've really enjoyed being on the podcast today, Christina. Yeah, I I have a website, which is susiegarden.com. And I also have a free Facebook group, which is called The Wellness Glow, Solutions for Stress, Fatigue and Anxiety. And that's free to join. Uh, There's just a couple of questions just to make sure that I preserve the integrity of the group. And yeah, you'll find all about me on in those two places easily. Amazing. Thank you again, Susie. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Huge shout out to Susie Garden for coming on the podcast and having such an amazing discussion. If you want more from her, then just hop on over to her website, susiegarden.com. You can also find her on Instagram at susiegardenwellness, and you can find her on the Wellness Glow podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you take a screenshot and share it on social media. You can tag me, tag Wellness Wellness Podcast, and tag Susie Garden Wellness. It makes me so excited when you share episodes on social media, and I seriously appreciate it. And don't forget, if you want exclusive behind-the-scenes content about the podcast, my life, health and wellness information, all kinds of things, then make sure you follow my super secret account, Wellness Realness Crew. All you have to do to gain access to that private account is DM a screenshot of your iTunes rating and review to the Wellness Realness Crew Instagram page, request to follow me, and when I get that screenshot in the DMs, I'll approve you and you'll have access to all the secret things. 
That's it for today's episode. Thank you again for tuning in. I hope you have an amazing rest of your week and I will chat with you again next time. Bye.